Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachat Ta'anit, DAP Zion, page 7. Well, this was a very long DAP that really touched upon a lot of discussions, and I think sort of gets into, I, maybe I'll call it the theology of rain. Um, and so the part that I want to read here has to do with sort of a description of how great rain is. It really wants to praise how significant rain is. I'm a Rabbi Avachus. Rabbi Avachus says, Gadol Yom HaGeshamim Mitzchiyat HaMetim. The day of rain is greater than the resurrection of death. I mean, just sit and think about what that statement is saying. And what I'm impressed with is that, you know, Tzachiyat HaMetim, or the idea that dead would be resurrected, is something that goes against nature, right? That's not something that we expect to happen. It's against the natural process of life, right? Which is you're born and then you die. Um, and so Tzachiyat HaMetim is sort of this miracle that God will perform for us, you know, at some point. Um, but Gishamim, but rain is, you know, that's just part of the natural order. That's what's supposed to happen. There's rain. And yet it's compared that sort of the Yom Gishamim is, is greater than Tzachiyat HaMetim. So why is it? Because will only happen for the righteous. But rain, everybody benefits from it, whether you're good or whether you're bad. So Rav Yosef says rain is equivalent to right? It's not greater than, and that's why Gevur Geshamim, right, Mashi Baruch Morida Gashem, is mentioned in the same paragraph in the Amida where we mentioned Tzachiyar HaMetim. Now we'll have another opinion about how great Geshamim is. Amar Rav Yehuda, Gadol Yom Geshamim, Ki Yom Bo Torah. So again, it's comparing something in the natural world to something that was out of nature, right? The giving of the Torah, right? And particularly when you read the description of it, in Shemot, it was with a lot of miracles and hearing God's voice. And yet that day is described as being bigger. Right? So here they do, they, they quote a pasuk here from Devarim chapter 32, verse 2, which says, my doctrine, my lechi shall drop as rain. Right? And lekach means Torah. And here they quote a very famous pasuk, you know, very famous song from Mishle chapter 4, verse 2. Right, right. We say this in davening, um, you know. For I give you my good, my doctrine, my lechi. Do not forsake my Torah. Rabbi Mario Termium not bo Torah. Right. He says that it's uh, it's even. I'm sorry, I read this wrong. Rabbi Yehuda says it's equal to. Rabbi says that it's greater than. Right. Right. Lechi. Right. So here he says because it says my doctrine shall drop as rain. Right, which object is dependent on which? So you have to say the lesser object is dependent on the greater one. So if Torah is compared to rain, it follows that rain is greater than Torah. So again, this idea that sort of we're comparing rain to something uh, that's not part of our natural world uh, is very striking to me. Now I'm going to skip. There's a whole middle part here, and you're going to talk about this middle part. But this continues again on Amud Bet as well. Um, and we get two more of these, right? Amar Rabbi Chama, uh, the Rabbi Chanina. So Rabbi Chama says, the son of Rabbi Chanina, 
Gadol Yom HaGashamim Kim Yom Shani Shamayim Ba'aretz. The day of the rain is as great as the day that the world was created, that Shamayim and Aretz were created. Shinat Mar Harifu Shamayim Ma'al Sukhatim Yizalu Tzedek Tiptach Eretz Bifru Yeshu Tzedakat Tatzmiach Yachad Ani Hashem Riyatav. So here they quote a pasuk from Yishayahu, chapter 45, verse 8. Right, that says, drop down heavens from above, let the skies pour down righteousness, let the earth open that, that it can bring forth salvation, let it cause righteousness to spring up together, I, the Lord, have created it. Right? Biratim lo namar ela biratah. So it says, right, the, the verse does not say, I have created them in plural, it says, but I have created it. Right? So in other words, because the, the pasuk is talking about rain, Right, it's not talking about creating Shamayim and Aretz, which should have been in the plural. It's talking about rain, and therefore it means the two are as equal to each other. And then finally, have Amar of Yoshia Gadol Yom Hagashamim Shafila Yeshua Para Right, that the day of rain is great because rain facilitates even more salvation, which is fruitful and multiplies on. Right, that in other words, because things, you know, sort of, it, it's a sign of God's salvation of the world. And also, I think literally means Yeshua Parab Rabbah, right? It makes everything grow in the world. It's what makes the world continue. It's how things can grow, right? We use the water to drink. It's how trees grow, how fruits grow. You have to have that rain, right? Shanat uh, Mar, and here they quote again the same pasuk from Yeshayahu, Tiptach Eris Fru Yesha, right? That let the earth open that they may bring forth salvation. Right? He says, rain falls only if the Jewish people's transgressions have been forgiven. Um, and here they quote a pasuk from Tikhilim, chapter 85, verses 2 and 3. Right. So it says, Lord, you've been favorable to your land. You turned the captivity of, of Jacob. You've forgiven the sins of your people. You've pardoned all their sins. So this chapter comes, you know, comes before um, later on in that in, in that Tehillim. It talks about how the righteousness look towards look toward heaven for rain. So there's a connection here between what's in these came and rain later on in the in the paragraph Tehillim. So, uh, you know, I just want to, I, I think it's just interesting, you know, sort of how great rain is praised. And again, that the fact that it's compared to things that are sort of not part of the natural world, right? Whether it be the resurrection of the dead, whether it be uh, the giving of the Torah, whether it be creation, right? The idea where the starting point of creation is sort of out of the natural order um, is very interesting to me. And, and I think all of this shows sort of this special status that rain has when it comes to the land of Israel. I think it's an interesting equation, or I'm not sure if it's a contrast or if it's an equation, right? The All of these supernatural elements, right? Creative and so on. And we look at rain as being natural. And I'm wondering, is that a contrast, right? Like natural versus supernatural? Or is it a comment on rain that at least in the land of Israel, where it also has this kind of divine reward punishment aspect going on, then perhaps it achieves that status of supernatural as well, even if our initial perception is natural. Yeah, I right. I think so. And, you know, then I'll just I'll let you get to what you want to talk about. You know, then the next part of the DAP talks about 
all the different sins that Bnei Israel do that could cause rain not to come. And I know that we definitely, there are many passages in the Gemara that talk about, you know, if Bnei Israel does this, then this happens, you know, for good or for bad. But it's really striking to talk about that, like, if they do, you know, there's different opinions, Lashon Hara, stealing, sort of being arrogant, you know, that particular things cause something in the natural world not to happen. And so there's something, I think, ultimately, that we're saying that, like, the rules of rain are actually, in a way, not governed by natural order. So I'm teasing this idea out. It's not fully formulated in my head, and we're only on top Zion of the DAP. But there's something here with this, right? The fact that we're sort of going to one extreme of comparing how great it is, you know, to all of these sort of seemingly miraculous things. And then on the other hand, that there's sort of this direct correlation, like if B'nai Israel sins in this way, rain does not come. Well, in our minds, the way we perceive the natural world, rain's going to come because rain just comes. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have to fully work out what exactly it's trying to say, but it's saying something here. Yeah, and I think that we feel it here. I mean, I think we feel the lack of rain, it, it, besides the fact that the, Israel is a dusty country, um, so that, you know, when it when it, there's a need for rain, because otherwise it's just too much like, I don't know, sand, dust, whatever, ick in the air, it, there's an awareness that I think is very, very different than any experience I ever had anywhere else in terms of being aware of the need for rain now. I also never lived in the Dust Bowl of America or something like that. So I can't really comment on it. But, um, you know, if you come from a place where rain is plentiful and it isn't like there's a rainy season, but just the water is there, then you certainly relate to it as, you know, very normal. Um, and I think in Israel, there is much more of an awareness of, um, you know, the norm might be for the rain to come in its season, but there's enough times, and this year is one of them, where the rain is not, you know, showing up with the frequency that you might expect or you might hope for. And then suddenly everybody's getting a little tense. You know, is this punishment? Is this something we should fast for? Is this, you know, global warming, climate change, et cetera, you know, whatever. It, it It's complicated for sure. Like, right. I, I and mean, I, and I'll, I'll just end with this before you get to your part. You know, we're, we're recording this mid slave, and there's really been almost no rain in Israel yet. So, there's something almost like I feel like we're reading Masachatanit. I hope not. I hope tomorrow it's supposed to pour the next couple of days. Um, but it's almost like we're reading it in real time, which is also very eerie to me. Yes, it is. It is eerie. Um, okay. I'm. What I want to talk about here is this middle piece, as you said, which is really an interlude. It's kind of a let's take a sidestep from the discussion of rain. <clears throat> and I'm still coughing, but I'm really fine. So Rabbi Shaya says, why is it that divrei Torah, right, words of Torah, are are um, compared to the following liquids, water and wine and milk? And then we've got verses, anyone who is thirsty should go for the water. And there's a, the same verse also says, come and buy and eat, come you'll buy wine and milk without money and without price. So, which all comes to teach, meaning all these liquids are in the same verse. Um, and what happens? How are they treated? 
בלוקס ויין וחלב, לומר לכם, מה שלושה משקיעים הללו אין מתקיימים, אלא בפחות שבכלים, how that they are, all three of these liquids, um, can you hold on to in the, in the lesser vessels, lesser vessels meaning something made of clay, for example, which is considered not so valuable, אף דברי תורה אין מתקיימים, אלא במי שדעתו שפלה, So too, matters of Torah, דברי תורה, are to be found only truly in someone whose spirit is lowly. Shvela, meaning the, what's the opposite of haughty and arrogant, somebody who is low, but low in a, in a humble kind of way, not low in a, in a self-effacing kind of way. Um, okay, so that is a beautiful little drusha, but it really brings us to the next point. Now we've switched into Aramaic and we've got a piece of Agarati here talking about the daughter of the Roman emperor who said to Yehoshua ben Hanania, who apparently was in Rome, You know, oi, e, oi, um, whoa. How is it that wisdom, glorious wisdom, is in such an ugly vessel? So it acknowledges his prowess intellectually, um, you know, with, with uh, wisdom, I guess. But the, she's, object, she's describing him, his physical form, as being ugly. Now, keep in mind that, of course, the culture of the ancient world, if we're talking ancient Greece, but also ancient Rome, was quite focused on beauty, the physical form in a, as a sign of beauty. Amar Allah. So he says back to her, So he says to her what seems to be a non-secretor. He responds to her, instead of saying, don't call me ugly, and instead of being offended or something like that, he says back to her simply, does your father keep his wine, chamra, that's wine, in clay vessels? She says, what else should he use? He says, well, you're so important. The wine should be kept in vessels of gold and silver. Now, anybody who's a vintner or a wine, what's this word? A wine, well, I never know the wine, how to pronounce this word. The people who love wine with an O that begins with wine of feel, something like that, right? Somebody listening, all of you listening probably know this word. The point is everybody knows that putting wine into metal for a long period of time It's not good for the wine. But she's going to test it. She goes and tells, speaks to her father. And he does it. He puts the wine in vessels of gold and silver. And it goes bad. You know, which is exactly what we'd expect. It, it, goes, it goes sour, meaning it gets vinegary, right? So the advisors come and they tell the emperor, of course, that the wine went sour. He says to his daughter, Why did you tell me to do this? It wasn't me. It was Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania who told me to do this. Oh, I'm sorry. He asks her, who told you to do this? And so she names Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. They call him. Why did you tell her to do this? He says to them, Just as she said to me, I said back to her. Meaning the same way that she said, how can it be that you have 
such beautiful, glorious wisdom in an ugly vessel. I said to her, how could you keep your glorious wine in an ugly vessel? Uh, and the emperor says back to him, but there are, you know, good looking people who are quite learned. Right, meaning you don't have the wine needs the the simple vessel. The wine needs the clay vessel to protect it well, right? But there's no contradiction between somebody who is good looking and somebody who is very learned. It happens to be that there's also no contradiction between somebody who is not very good looking and somebody who is very learned, right? It, one thing has nothing to do with the, the other. So Rabbi Yeshua is back to the emperor. Rabbi Yoshua says, had those good-looking people been ugly, they would be even more learned, which is a nice uh, defense on his part. Alternatively, and this is also a kind of a funny structure here, the Gemara goes back to the point about the liquids. Just as these three liquids are going to be spoiled only if you stop paying attention to them, you know, to the production of wine or milk or water. And water here is a question for me because paying not paying attention to water should not make it go bad, but okay. Um, I guess they still have to be guarded and protected to make sure nothing, you know, disturbs the water. Um, so too, divrei Torah, the words of Torah are forgotten if you don't pay attention. You know, if you, if you get distracted and pay attention to something else. But of course, the main discussion here is this interlude between... Um, Ben Chanania and the daughter of the emperor, and the the comparison to wine. <laughs> First of all, the idea. Out, yeah, I just want to point out, and I know we've talked about Rabbi Yeshua, but this is the Rabbi Yeshua, you know, with that story with Rabbi Gamliel and Rosh Chodesh. This is the same one. He's a big. He's really one of the five primary students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Is a very famous story about him, and uh, you know that he was not was not apparently particularly attractive. Um, and, you know, this is one of the biographical pieces of information that they want to tell us about him. Right. But also, he's clearly one of the greats. We don't even if we didn't know him, you know, from the other stories we know from this context, because he's there, you know, having a comfortable conversation with the emperor and with his daughter. Right. Right. But but what I wanted to say is, um, of course, it's an interesting discussion to begin with this idea that. We people are receptacles, so to speak, for Chokhmah, for Divrei Torah. That it, you know, that the the idea that her idea, right? Really, it's the daughter of the the emperor who says, "How can wisdom be in such a a receptacle such as yourself?" And what part of what that does is it treats the human being. I'm not talking about physical form and good looking or not look good looking. It treats the person as simply a receptacle in which to put the Torah. Right for the great wisdom that we can then, you know, chug out of it, so to speak, um, as opposed to, and then of course the the very practical um, uh, comeuppance, right, that he gives her, brings to her by saying, go, "Go, put your put your wine in silver and gold." Right, he's just ruined the emperor's wine. So I, we can ask, you know, to what extent did this actually happen? But it's certainly presented as if it did. And this is the power of discovery and hypothesis and everything like that. Meaning there's so, it's a very rich story in terms of just the narrative of it. I don't know that it's so philosophically puzzling 
as some of the other things we've seen recently. But this one, I feel like there's just, you know, it, it's a glorious um, underdog kind of story in that way. And of course, you know, it makes the point very strongly that looks are not all they're cracked up to be or not all they were cracked up to be in the Roman world. Yeah, I, I but I think that's an important point. Like it does show us that some of these Tanayim really were very well respected even outside of the Jewish world. Um, and, you know, had and also just the fact that there was interaction with, you know, non-Jewish authorities, I think is also an important historical and biographical piece here. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Ring us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.